Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. I've hit the button. We have started. And I'm excited. This guest today is, man, he is a genius. I will, I will say this. He probably wouldn't say this about himself. He is a genius. He is an absolute badass. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's got a background in law and marketing and social. He is a social media thought leader, an industry leader. And he really has a talent for the interactive and the social media strategy all coming together but for business purposes. So that's why we're here talking today. I can't wait to talk marketing with him. Founder and CEO of Agora Pulse, Emmerich Enonu. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you. I thought you were describing someone else. I said, that's going to be an amazing guest. Who is he? <laughs> it's like you're in the audience. Uh, who, who is it? It's you. An amazing guy. I want to hear from him. <laughs> it's great to see you. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, for it's good to have you here, me. man. I, I can't wait to to smash this myth with you. So here, let me pass you this thing. It's heavy, but obviously you're strong. You work out, so I'm going to pass you this thing. Uh, okay, well, here we go. Heavy. All right. Go ahead, grab grab Thor's hammer for me. Okay, there you go. Nice, nice safe two-handed grab. Okay, take Thor's hammer. Yes, yeah, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Yeah. So the myth I chose today is the myth that in 2024, things have become so complex in marketing and in, in everything we do online and digital, including social, that measuring is not really worth it anymore because there's so much you cannot measure that all you can see is the tip of the iceberg and it's not worth doing. So that's something that's been ramping in in with some gurus, marketing gurus, I should say. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to create enemies for myself. But I've heard a lot of people say, you know, this is so 1999 or 2005, like all the attribution, attribution's bullshit. You know, the software is wrong. Uh, all that stuff is, is you shouldn't be doing that. You, what you should be doing is something else. And um, that's the myth I want to bust because I've heard those people. I've I've listened to them. At some point, I did trust them and tried what they preached, and it led me to make a lot of mistakes and miss a lot of opportunities and be basically being blind on, on a lot of things where being blind is not good and is hurting your business. And so I, I, I switched 180 degree um, from that trajectory and decided that measuring is absolutely crucial. And started on that journey um, in September of 2023 of being the one who sets the measurement framework, the scorecards, the measurement processes in order to know what we're doing and be able to do resource allocation better in the marketing team and be able to align the goals of the sales team and the marketing team much better, which was not uh, happening before. And um, it's the one thing I've learned, and we can talk more about that, it's hard. It's really hard. And now I understand why <laughs> so many people don't want to do it because it's really hard work. And it's not fun work. It's um, very meticulous, very process-oriented, very spreadsheet-oriented. And there's nothing fun and creative about it. And that's probably why um, a lot of people don't like it and don't want to touch it because they love, they like the fun and creative part of the job and not the, the um, 
uh, one plus one equal two part of the job. <laughs> right. So right. that's my, you that's know, my it, myth. Dude, I love this. This is, this is, I, I've heard this too, especially as you mentioned that reversion back to the nineties. I've heard that too. Well, you know what? We're just, it's so complicated. We're just going back to the days of the Mad Men yeah. era. We, we can't track. We're just going to, we're just going to do stuff and, and it'll just work. And this is just how it is. And part of me thinks, especially as I hear you smash this, man, they're just, it is hard. They're just getting wimpy. Like, come on, mm. you, you got to track. You, you can't leave yourself blind. But why do you think so many people are, you know, glomming onto this loose theory that it's just too impossible? So don't even try. Um, I don't have the answer to the why people don't do it, uh, except that since I started to do it, it requires a lot of work and it requires a lot of human work. There is tooling that can, that can help make it easier and faster, but all in all, if you don't put human beings behind the process and the framework, it's not going to happen. You're not going to track. So there is no tracking solution that's 100% software-based, none. You, you have to have a human person look at what you're creating in terms of leads, email, lists, signups, um, uh, attendees, you know, whatever is the marketing activity that you're conducting to get people in your system and qualify them. You have at some point to have people to look at them and say, good, bad, good, bad. Like, we're going after these. They're an ICP. They're the kind of people we want to have. And um, it, it's, it's very tedious. It's very uh, boring. Let's call it Let's call it a name. And um, uh, most people who are the VP of marketing or the campaign manager or the marketing manager, they, they don't want to do that. And they don't, they don't have a solution for that. So they, they just don't do it. That's, that's, that's my learning. But I, I'm a founder. You, you said serial entrepreneur. I love that word because when I was in my <laughs> 20s, that was, it was my dream. I was looking at people who were calling themselves, who were called serial entrepreneurs. And I was like looking at them with, an, with an, a look of awe. And, oh my God, serial entrepreneur. That must be so, these guys are gods to me. And now you call me that. So that's right. funny to me. Um, but I, I started businesses. And, and when you start businesses, you're all about solving problems. And, and there's nothing nothing more important than finding the solution to the problem. So when I started to look at that, I say, okay, the problem I have is when my marketing team creates an online event where they invite a bunch of people and they pay a lot of money to get a bunch of people to subscribe and attend this online event and, and consume it and get value from it. And because they got value from it, then they start liking our brands a little, little bit more. And maybe they call us for a demo or they get more interested into what we do. And eventually they become um, a demo request or a real prospect and so on and so forth. And um, when we were, we've been doing this for a long, long time. And the marketing team was just looking at, we got that many attendees. And I, like last year, I, I was celebrating the 3,000 attendees to whatever event, the, the 2,000 downloads for whatever ebook. I was celebrating, like super happy about it. The thing I was completely missing, like entirely missing, is that that number does not matter. That number is pure vanity. And when you say that 2,000 people have downloaded my ebook and 3,000 people have attended my, my online, my webinar or my online summit, is vanity, you're kind of like, what? Vanity? You know, no, it's not vanity. Your brand has been is been is visible. People have seen it. Right. It's it's, a, it's amazing brand awareness, but still it's still vanity if zero revenue 
or, or one customer is coming from that 3,000 attendees to that event, or zero customers are coming from that webinar with 250 attendees. It won't matter eventually. And that's where things starts to break, because if you don't connect that to your, to your revenue pipeline and you don't have a revenue accountability on the marketing side, everything's vanity at the end of the day. And the one thing I've realized since we started to put it into place is if you don't have another team that is in charge of taking those 3,000 or those 250 or those whatever, look at them and divide them into good data, bad data. Step number one, how many Gmail do I have? I have no clue who they are. Well, 50%, duh, that's bad. Okay, so 1,500 are actually... The, the actual registrants to that event that I actually care about are 1,500, not 3,000. My vanity just diminished by 50%, <laughs> reduced by 50%. Right. So that, and you, right. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, very, I'm going to be very chatty about that because I'm so uh, excited by yeah, the topic please. and so, so passionate. But I just, uh, yeah. I just saw a company, a company for sale. A company is for sale here in, in France. And um, um, they're doing social media listening. And this is a feature that we're looking at growing into because we need more of that and we've not been great at doing social media listening we're getting better but not great so so far so i looked at that company and the, f the first thing i looked at was they have five thousand free trials per month approximately four thousand six hundred and then they have 430 50 demo requests per month and when the the, the guy who's trying to sell the business presented me those metrics again vanity metrics he told me look at that that's amazing for four thousand six hundred free trials um, uh, 450 demo requests. Look at those amazing yeah. leads that you can give to your sales team. Look at the value if you can transform that. I don't have a sales team. You have a sales team. If you get that to your sales team and they close 30% of that, think about the millions of dollars and euros you're going to make thanks yeah. to my company <laughs> if you buy it. And I said, great. Can you give me the free trials and the demo requests from March? Like a long, you know, a long time ago, so I'm not going to steal them from you. It's too late already. Yeah. And he did that. And my VA is my virtual assistant, uh, uh, Shirag, who's, who lives in India. He's an amazing guy. Went through that, took four weeks and did that work of good data, Gmail. You know, who, who are the Gmails? I don't know who they are. I don't know what company that is. I don't know who that person is. And, oh, that's a, that's a corporate email. And I, I, have a company, I have a company name that I can recognize and I can find on LinkedIn. And I have a person's name with a job title that I can recognize and find on LinkedIn. Here's the LinkedIn of the person. Here's the LinkedIn of the company. Here's the company size because it's on LinkedIn. So the, the yeah. basic qualification, 60% um, of their free trials were bad data. It was from, you know, from China, from India, from whatever, with 1235 at uh, hh.com or whatever, like it, it, or Gmail wow. or something that had no value, like what you couldn't even know who they were. And 40% only you could know who they were. I said, whoa, that's, that's pretty, it's a lot of trash, right? And then, yeah. I, and then I asked him, look at all these um, LinkedIn data that you found and tell me which are, the, so or in our ICPs, ideal customer profiles, we have agencies and they, they have to be 10 or 10 or more. And uh, we have, you know, several types of verticals of businesses, like for example, hotels, restaurants, chains, um, retail. So we call them multi-location because they have a lot of profiles and they, they do a lot on social and it's yeah. very chaotic. So we solve a big problem for them. So those are the kind of company we sell to. And they are usually more than four or 500 employees. So I told, I told him, identify all the more than 500 employees and all the agencies and tell me how many. And in the demo request, out of three, 450 demo requests, there were 50 agencies plus 
uh, mid-market companies. So 50 out of 450 were actually good fit to, to make good business. And when we looked at the free trials, it was 160 out of 4,700, something like that. So you look at 4,600 and you look at 450 and eventually what you get, which is valuable for you in terms of leads in, in a measured way, is 160 right. on, on the one hand and 50 on the other hand. And suddenly the, the, that business that looked amazing when it was presented to you as 4,700 leads a month, yoo 450 people who want to buy from you, yee-haw. And then it becomes uh, 50 and 160, it's worth nothing to me. It's not even worth looking at it anymore, almost. And Trent, you know, put that and, 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 and call it a, a webinar or call it an online mm-hmm. event or call it an offline event or call it any, or, or an ebook download, call it anything you want and do the same exercise. And what is the percentage that you get? Is it 60% of bad data or is it 20%? 20%, you are doing freaking amazing. The quality of the stuff you get is top notch. The kind of, um, um, your, the ability of your SDRs or your VA to tell you out of that, these are amazing ICPs, it's going to be twice as much as, as the bad stuff. And, and how many of them are actually the kind of people you want to sell to? And that number is the number that matters. And that exercise, yeah. very few marketers do it. And maybe I'm, a, I'm, I'm doing a poor job as a CEO in my company and I should have found that earlier when I should have and, sure. you know, make that happen earlier in my company. Uh, but maybe not. And maybe there are many others like me. If you who are listening to this are today doing marketing the way I was doing marketing, which is stopping at the number of registrant downloads and, and signups and attendees, please change, change that and have someone or we're going to talk about that. You can use tools as well, but someone who's going to tell you out of those, here are the one we can actually identify. And out of those who can act, we can actually identify here are the ones that are, that are exactly the kind of customer we love to sell to because you've defined your ICP in the first place. Do that exercise because that is where the real business starts. Before that, business has not even started. <laughs> You've just yeah, done housekeeping. Is, yeah, it, I, I, it's safe. You think it's safe just focusing on vanity metrics only to realize your your house is crumbling, right? Because eventually you're not going to be supplying the things you need to be supplying. You, if you get so fixated on those numbers, it's crazy, right? Because so many modern tools can just turn off Gmail addresses. But that's scary because then now maybe your number's 60% less, you know, and it's a little bit more accurate. Uh, and then I did the math because, you know, let's say, I mean, 50 good fits, you're not closing all 50. So let's say you close 30%. That's 15 accounts. That wasn't 450. That turned into 15, right? So that number goes down quite a bit, quite a bit. It's a totally different story. Hey, we're a startup now. We're not some big behemoth anymore. Yeah. And now what, when, when things get really interesting is now you can start to understand, okay, how did we promote this thing? What partner did we use? What media did we pay? What, what, did we go LinkedIn ads, um, uh, Meta ads, Google ads, YouTube ads? Did we use a media partner? We, did we buy a list? And then you can look at all these different channels that you've used to promote your marketing that, that is supposed to be the lead magnet, right? And, and, and identify the ones that are giving you the highest good data, the highest ICP fit. And, and that, that 
media partner who was very expensive per lead suddenly because they are super high quality in the in the data quality and in the icp fit they're super cheap on the uh, cost per icp fit and that other one that was super cheap on the, the cost per lead that meta ad I, i'm Maybe it's not Meta. Maybe Meta is amazing. I'm just taking that <laughs> as an example. But that Meta ad sure. that gives you 10 bucks per lead compared to LinkedIn gave you 60 bucks or 70 bucks per lead. Suddenly, when you start looking down to the ICP, it's 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 three times the cost of LinkedIn. So the problem when you don't do yeah. this work, all your beliefs are wrong. Uh, potentially, all of them are misleading you and giving you false information that you're going to use for your future resource allocations. And that's where it becomes really, really painful and and, and hurting your business, basically. And uh, that's the no, thing that a, I'm yeah. amazed we're just finding out now, just to be honest with you. Oh, no, <laughs> I, I, I hear you. But I think the, the crazy thing is not only is the information bad, but in this case, where the super cheap leads were actually the most expensive ones, and the expensive ones were actually the most affordable because they were so high quality, it's, it's not just bad. It's the opposite info. So mm -hmm. you end up play, you talk about resource allocation. Now you start allocating your resources to the exact wrong thing yeah. you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Not just a poor thing, the wrong thing. And then you're letting the good one just, pro you probably even turn it off because it just sounds so expensive because you're yeah. not looking through the whole picture. That's yeah. crazy. So what I've learned is this, in order to nail this step, you need two things. First of all, your marketing team needs to have an SDR team. That's their BFF. If you don't have that, the vast majority of your marketing efforts and budget is going to go, is going to, go to waste, most of it. And uh, um, the way, just a segue, the way I learned is that? as a CEO and a founder is I go interview and question you know, CMOs, VP of marketing, VP of event marketing, whatever. I go and talk to yeah. people in other companies that are working for some of my CEO, CEO, CEO friends. And I, so I contact yeah. my CEO friends. I say, okay, do you have someone in your team who does that? Who's really good? Oh yeah, this guy's really good. That girl, amazing. Can you introduce me? And I have a, couple, a bunch of questions for them. So I, I've been doing yeah. that for the past four months. And the one thing they all told me, that there's one thing they all shared with me, the exact same thing. And they all told me, if you, if you do marketing, lead gen, demand gen marketing activities and you don't have an SDR team, most of it will be wasted. That is the one thing I heard across the board. And I kind of had a gut feeling that my marketing team needed to have SDRs embedded in marketing or at least if they are in sales and we can talk about where the, the SDR team should live, it's another debate um, and another difficult decision to make for many different reasons, but they could either live in the marketing team and, and be embedded in marketing. So everything marketing does is hand in hand with the SDRs and, the, and or they, they're in the sales team and, and they, they have to be BFF with the marketer. So every time a marketer does something, he has a chat with the, the SDR and say, okay, I'm planning this. How are we going to do that together? This is how the leads are going to come in. What's the SLA for you to work them on and so on and so forth. So first step, you need an SDR team and the SDR team has to be BFF with the marketing team. Second, oh, by the way, we're talking B2B Sorry, marketing. real quick on that, real quick. Yeah. So that means, so still marketing doesn't have to own them. That's like a different debate, but you're okay either way, yeah. as long as they have a really tight relationship as or does it really BFF. need to be owned? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, as long as they're tightly the, joined. 
I initially was in the in the camp of those who thought and wanted the the SDRs to be in the marketing team. The one thing I've learned since then, I've also talked to many many different marketing leaders, and the one thing I've learned from them is like managing sales minds is is a job <laughs> in its own. The the kind of coaching you have to do, the kind of you know the hiring, the coaching, the onboarding, the cold coaching. Um, you know, it, it's a different mindset. It's a different type of persona. Those, they are very different. And marketers are not trained to onboard, coach, mentor, 100%. sales-oriented 100%. or sales-driven people. And SDRs are sales-driven people. Like, like one simple example, the way you are going to manage and, 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 and challenge an SDR is by the level of activity because that's the baseline. How many calls did you make? How many emails did you send? Right. How many LinkedIn messages right. did you send? Um, how many touch points did you have today with prospects on and so forth? Very activity-based. It's very number-driven. It's very Google Sheet-driven or Excel spreadsheet-driven. Marketers don't have this mindset. It's, it's, it's much harder for them to have this mindset. So if you don't have someone in the marketing team who has that super number-driven, Excel-driven mindset, it's, it's, they're not going to be a good person to manage in the SDR team. So they're probably going to be better managed in, in the sales team. So it really depends on who is your marketing leader and how is your marketing leadership uh, like? And do you have people in that marketing leadership that, has, that have this kind of you know, measure everything mindset or not? So that's where the debate is, just, just to put that aside. So sure. the SDR can be in marketing if you have that kind of leadership and they can be managed this way and they, they know how to manage SDRs this way. If they are in the sales team because nobody would know how to manage them, it's still okay as long as they are participating to every marketing leadership meeting. So all my marketing leadership weekly meeting, the SDR is here. The marketing ops, who's part of RevOps, is here as well. And that's how we create that feeling of a one revenue team. And that's where we have a place where we can ask questions and, and collaborate on deadlines and collaborate on future events and, and, and challenge each other. So it's important that um, they are actually participating in the day-to-day -day of the marketing team by being in their, in their meetings. And, um, and then I, I keep asking them, this, this guy is your BFF. What, what are you doing to build rapport with him or her? What are you, you know, do you have a one-on-one, -on -one, weekly one-on-one? -on -one? Oh, no, I don't. Well, you need a weekly one-on-one, -on -one, 45 minutes, looking at your projects, uh, you know, have a, challenge each other, look, ask what, what's their goal, um, show them what your goals are, work on your roadmap, show them your roadmap, like build that relation, that working relationship that so that they know what you're doing and you know what they're doing. And then you can, you can cross pollinate and cross reference. So that's the SDR, uh, that's the SDR team. Um, not BDR, they're not the hunters, but the one that take all the inbound and transform it to opportunities with the sales team, basically. Got it. And the, the other thing I've learned recently, uh, more recently is before the SDR team, you need a VA or two VAs, you know, whatever. Because the housekeeping, so let's 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 talk money. Uh, an SDR is going to be, you know, 55, 60, 65 OTE, right? That's going to be probably the cost of an SDR. An AE right. is going to be what, 100, 110, 120 OTE. You don't want a 65 OTE person, 60, 65K OTE person going through a list of Gmail and removing the Gmail. You don't want that. Right. It's silly. So you have to have a first step. That's VA step. That's right after the, the, the list was created or right after the list started to, to, to get built and to get uh, enriched. That person goes and look at the list and every day do the housekeeping, do the house cleaning. 
remove the Gmails, remove the Hotmails, remove the, anything that I cannot recognize as a valid person in a valid company with the valid job titles and do that cleaning. And, that, and now you have to give an SLA to that, like two days, three days, has to be super fast because those leads, they get cold very, very fast when, when, when you get to touch them. And then the next step is, okay, now we know, we know who they are. Let's go through, are they worth my SDR 65K time or not? Oh, you know, pizza company from the corner of my street, uh, three employees. They're never going to pay me more than 49 bucks a month. They're not worth my 65K SDR time. I am not going to spend time with them. Eliminate. And that can also be done by a well-trained VA. We are lucky. Our VAs are absolutely amazing. They're super smart. And once you show them how you think and how you filter through your marketing data and your marketing list, they are able to just crank it and crank it super fast. And they're going to crank it at what, $3, $4 an hour. Do the math, what is what it's costing you per month. It's not 65 KOTE. And it makes it makes much more sense. And for them, it's it's a great job. Where they are, that's an amazing job. They work with an amazing boss. Uh, they're super happy about working for a fun startup where things are happening and it's it's sexy and it's moving fast and it's 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 <laughs> right. It's exciting. And so for them it's great. Um, and for us, it's great too, because we're, we're, we're paying a fraction of the cost to do something that if it was done by SDRs, number one, the SDRs would get bored pretty quickly and, and, and they're not doing what they're the best at doing, which is calling, Hey, I know you have this problem. We may have this solution. Are you interested? You know, you want to talk more or, or I have this piece of content that I think you're going to love. Can I send it to you? What email, whatever, like what SDRs, when they are worth their 65 K are best at doing, which is getting them hooked and, and getting them engaged with you. And, and, and a VA will never do that. You know, 15K a year, right. a VA will not do that for you, but the SDR at 65 will do that. So it's all allocating people where they are the best and where their cost is actually making sense. And so that's what I've learned so far. It's like marketing without those two things, um, <laughs> it's mostly wasted and it's horrible because it's expensive. You know, when your marketers are Americans or Europeans or Canadians, they are not cheap. And if what they're doing is cannot be optimized and cannot transform to a sales opportunities that make sense for your company, it, things become very sad very quick. Yeah, what an important step. I hear so many people complaining about bad data, sales complaining about being given bad data by marketing. Yep. And I've always counseled people, when you send them bad data, it reflects on you. They look at you like an idiot because you can't send them a, a callable, mailable person. Don't even send it, right? And so there's this always been this thing. And so I've never heard it explained so clearly, just two simple steps of having someone, is this, a, is this an actual person? and you know, mailable, callable, that kind of, and are they someone we want to talk to? You know, and if they are, yes, let's get it to that person. But if they're not, let's not do it. And let's not waste SDR time, human time, uh, sp- expensive time on on the a wrong fit. Like, just don't do it. Yeah. And, and that's where things become really interesting from a marketing perspective. If okay. at the end of that filter... What you get is not working. Now you can question yourself because now you're not blinded by the 3,000 attendees that you got in the first place that made you feel you were an amazing genius, an amazing marketing <laughs> genius, right? Now you look at, oh, right. shit, that didn't actually deliver anything. 
of value right. or, it, or very little compared to the time and energy. And let's face it, human beings want, want to feel successful in their job. So those marketers, they're not bad because they are bad people. They're bad because they're right. not being given the, the clarity that they need, they, need to, they need to get and they need to see. If they see that their marketing effort didn't bring the number of opportunities that make sense and, and all the time and money that they spend actually doesn't make them shine, what, what are they going to do? They're going to want to find a solution to actually shine because that's what they want. They want to succeed. They want to win. They want to be looked at amazing professionals. Right. So now they're going to direct their energy and their creativity on, on, on testing something else. That, that event didn't work. Why? Well, maybe the topic didn't attract the kind of people who are ready to subscribe to my thing or ready to, or at least be interested by what I sell. Why could that be? Oh, the, the theme of that event was had nothing to do with what I sell. Huh, maybe that's the problem. Maybe the theme of the event has to be more connected to the problem I solve. Okay, what problem do I solve? Have I talked to customers lately to really understand the problem I solve with their words, with their, you know, with the way they describe it? Huh, maybe not. Let's go back to basic and talk to customers and have a better. So basically, they're going to start thinking about how can I solve this? It's not working. What can I do? As long as they get blinded by their 3,000 attendees, they're not going to solve anything because they're not going to realize they have a problem. And right. for me, that was an awakening moment. Like, oh my God, those people, they're not bad. They're, they're actually good people. They want to win. They want to do the right thing. But they're not being given the insight that is telling them you're not doing the right thing. Change what you're doing. And, and, and trust me, if it's the boss telling them you're not doing the right thing and you think your 3,000 attendees are great, you're going to say, my boss is an asshole. It's not going to work. Yeah. So they, they yeah. have to see by themselves because of data and actual stuff they can touch and feel and see that, oh, what I did didn't work. And it's not Emmerich who told me. I, I, I witnessed it. I saw it because the process made me, forced me to look at it as at what it yeah. really was. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's quite interesting. You know, whether it's a company or a marketing campaign, I've always felt you learn more when it doesn't work right, right? From your failures, from you got one person to attend the webinar, okay, or 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 3,000, but none of them are good, right? But if you, it, I love this point, if you know that it's wrong, yes, you have a little bit of that short-term pain, but then you can make changes. I mean, whenever I did dumb things and I was, very aware of how dumb they were after the fact i learned not to do that again or to change or to mod what a great point that vanity metrics are such a distraction they're such a distraction uh and and wow it, it, it keeps you from growing as a marketer as a company but also as a marketer and so we should yeah. be anti that we should be seeking out truth you know and i've always felt like it's not my idea it's not your idea Hey, if you want to try this and I'll try this, let's measure both and see what works. And if your idea works, great. Like, I just want a good answer. I don't care where it comes from, but, yeah. but the vanity gets in the way and then you can't see what huge lesson learned uh, in huge, you know, warning to marketers out there not to get tricked by those. You know, I, I had one too, Emmerich, that uh, attendees of webinars, right? When I was mm. presenting them, it was always so much fun to have people join my webinars and, and chat and ask questions and say funny things and laugh at my jokes and everything. it was great. But we eventually looked into the metrics and it wasn't the people on the webinars that were buying. Sometimes it was the recorded people 
the people listening to recordings that bought the most, mm. they didn't have time to join a webinar, mm. right? They, they were busy. So a lot of times it was them and it, it certainly wasn't the people live on the web. They were my groupies. They were my fans. They weren't ideal customer profile. And so that distracted me. That was a bit of a vanity metric. Hey, I look at all this chat in the chat room on this webinar. Isn't this great? But that didn't en lead to sales. Engagement. Engagement was to, good. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, I don't know what lesson to take from the attendees didn't buy and the recorded, the ones, the ones who, who watched it, uh, watched the recording, bought more. I, I, from the top of my head, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know what to tell you in terms of what is learning that is for you. But for, <laughs> in, 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 in our case, uh, we had one, one um, event where 53, 55% of, um, of signups actually attended the webinar and another one where 13% attended the webinar. And funny enough, um, maybe you'll listen to that at one point because I'll, I'll, I'll tell him, uh, but one of them, uh, I told him the, the one did really well because 50, 55% actually came and attended the, the, the show or the, the event. And the other didn't go well because 13, only 13%, so 87% never, never, you know, bothered attend the webinar and he told me why is it bad and my immediate re reflex was well it's bad because they've not been exposed to the content so if, if if they've not been exposed to the content they are not looking at our brand in a more favorable way number one because they don't even know if it was valuable or not right that's quite obvious and second right, right. if the content was a way to show them the problem and to explain, oh, not all the content, because you don't want the content to be all about you, right? You want it to be about them first. Right. But if you want that to be, to give you the ability to create valuable sales opportunities, it has to be a little bit about you and about the problem and how you solve it and how you can be the right, the right solution for them right. to solve that problem. If the content had some of that and they have not watched it, how valuable was it? Zero. If they just signed up to it on the title of it, but they never attended it and they never watched it, their 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 value in terms of lead is is one tenth or or like you know, of what they could be if they actually consumed it, because when when they consume it, they realize the problem. Oh, I have this problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really well explained. I like it. Like. Think about you. You're listening to this. You're hearing all the problems we're describing, and you're like in your head. If you're a marketer, thinking, "Shit, maybe I am also doing this. Maybe I should start, you know, doing my housekeeping on my list, seeing what's right, what's wrong, what's ICP, right. what's not." And so I'm creating problem awareness for you right now. Uh, those who listen to that, right? <laughs> if you've never consumed right. this podcast and you just subscribe to to the podcast, but you didn't consume this one. And I'm I'm trying I'm going to you and I say hey I you know I can sell you something that you're going to be like yeah whatever <laughs> right it's it's only if you consume the content that you're going to be problem aware and you're going to say I have a solution to house to do the housekeeping of your email marketing list are you interested if you've just listened to this you're going to tell me yeah yeah yeah, yeah. tell me more because I I consumed this and I thought that was very interesting so you know long story short on that thing the one who didn't attend had. A, a fraction of the value of the one who attended and actually were exposed to a piece of content that made men, made them understand that they had a problem that we could solve. So it's all these things that you need to be aware and you need to be measuring and you need to be improving. So how do you go from 13% attendee to 50% attendee? 
why, you know, what was, was it the source? Was it how it was promoted? What was it? And, and if you don't fix that, right. <laughs> you're going to keep doing stuff that doesn't work. Right. So, yeah. Right. And that's my, that's a passion of mine. Um, we didn't talk too much about that, but that's why our, our whole social media product is all about measuring and ROI and where is the value and, you know, can you see value in social media? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a marketer at heart because I've been, as a founder, my area of expertise was, was growing the business and, and marketing the business. And I've always found that when you cannot see the value of what you do, you get discouraged and demoralized very quickly. And for me, it's, it's, a, it's a life mission to help people who have stuff to market. So for us, it's on social media. See and know and see that it works. <laughs> And not yeah. be like, eh, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, which is so frustrating as a marketer. I hate this. I've, I've been there, man. I remember being a marketing program manager at a company. People, you could look up my LinkedIn and find out where that was. But uh, <laughs> um, I remember being there and I wasn't a senior level, but I was executing webinars like we're talking about or campaigns and just always wondering, like, what am I actually contributing? Like, I know we're doing stuff in our marketing department, mm -hmm. but it never felt like we were contributing. And we were kind of treated that way, too. Mm -hmm. Like, we didn't feel like we're contributing and the people kind of treating us like we didn't contribute. And yeah. then, you yeah. know, we just cost money. You know, I remember trying to get the CEO to sign a PO to go to a conference and he would, he would literally avoid me <laughs> so he didn't have to sign it, right? And he would try to sneak out of the building without... And so I would be working late and... I'd see him go by, I'd grab the printed thing and a pen and I'd like jump out of the cube and be like, here you go, sign. But I like, I just remember wondering like, what am I actually doing? And it wasn't until I was tracking with like marketing automation and things like that, that I started seeing the connection to sales and what an eye opener. But the idea of tracking social, I mean, that seems like one of the grayest areas, the area that are we just having fun? Are we just kids playing on TikTok? Is this actually helping the business? Probably gets the most skeptical, you know, that side eye glance by leadership because it's like, what are you doing? You're just having fun. Does this actually help the the business, you know? So I, I could see even more so than than me, you know, sitting in my cube. If you're if you're tasked with doing social and being a social presence, man, you have everyone looking at you going, what are you doing? Like, are you helping us? Yeah. Well, first of all, what you described at your previous job is probably the life yeah. of 80% of marketers. Let's face it. I, yeah. I've, I've lived that life. I've seen people living that life. I have been that guy myself for many, many years. Yeah. So first of all, there's no blame or shame here. Like we've all done that. Uh, but if at right. some point you can see the light and <laughs> see the virgin and understand <laughs> that that can be changed and that actually make a lot of sense and that's going to make you much happier and, and much more successful professional but, um, at least we've done something useful so that's for it on the social media stuff yeah you're absolutely right social media is seen as yeah uh, you're, you're having fun you're on facebook all day or you're on instagram all day or on tiktok that's for sure it Social is probably one of the hardest thing to track for one simple reason. It's very the it's it's very diverse. TikTok doesn't work as the same as Instagram. That doesn't work the same as Twitter. It doesn't work the same as Facebook. Like they're all very different. So and the way you can track the one and the other are not the same. So putting things very simply, uh, 
there's only one way to track um, at marketing attribution to anything in life. It's how the links are built. When you do paid ads, it's all in the links. All the variables that are going to allow the paid uh, platform to track everything that's happening is, is embedded in the link that you're clicking when you're clicking on the ad. Same thing for the marketing automation software, for HubSpot, for Marketo, for for the, the, the emailing, for MailChimp, for anything you use, it's all in the link because it's going to send traffic somewhere. And when it gets somewhere, that's somewhere that has an analytics in the background, GA4 being 80% of those analytics for 80% of the businesses. The, the analytics software is going to read the URL, is going to interpret that URL, say, oh, it's coming from there, and it was done at that time, and it's, it's, it's social, or it's paid, or it's this, and it's going to do all the attribution at that moment in time. That's how you track things. Obviously, there, we can go into third-party cookies and all these other stuff, but it's, 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 it's just going to confuse people. And on social, there are many platforms where you can put links. There's no link on, on Instagram. Well, yes. Yes and no. There are no links on Instagram except in stories and except in the bio. And that's where you're going to be able to leverage those to, to put links there. Mm. There's no links on TikTok. Yes, that is true, except on the bio as well. So can you track everything the same way you could track an email campaign or an ad campaign? No, of course not. And that's why it's harder on social. But it's because it's harder, there a good reason to not do anything. Mm. And that, that, my point is this. Right. And I, I remember when we when you and I had a had a call earlier last week, I told you, you can see the top of the tip of the iceberg if you do that. You can only see the tip of the iceberg. But the tip of the iceberg may not seem great or may not seem enough. But if there's no tip, there's probably no fucking iceberg underneath the surface. <laughs> so seeing a tip is at least giving you a hint that something is something you can measure is happening. So probably more that you cannot measure is happening as well. If nothing is happening from a measurable perspective, then there's probably not much happening in the in the non-measurable world of social media. And obviously, um, no, it's not social media is not going to be the right channel for every company. Let, let, let's let's call a cat a cat, right? Like, right. there's no way social media is going to be an amazing tool for a B2B software. I am not the kind of company that's going to crush it on social media. But we have customers who are crushing it on social media. And usually those customers are uh, more B2C. I say more, I'm not saying B2B doesn't work, but it's harder. It's easier B2C yeah. because, of, because of the sheer volume, period. That's it. Sure. And also because of the passion for the product. Oh, I love your bike. Your bike is amazing. It's all carbon. It goes faster than any bike. And I love the bike. I want to share the bike with everyone. You're not going to do that with, with an email marketing software, are you? Like, no, you're not going to share that with all your friends. Right. Your email marketing software is so amazing. I want my mother to know about it. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so social is going to be a much better fit for people who are passionate about the product. And that's usually more B2C thing. And that's usually more um, a, a, a passion type of product. Like, let me give you one example of a customer of ours who is making close to forty-five to fifty thousand dollars of business tracked from social, social being Instagram and Facebook alone, and they sell plant-based medicine. Plant-based medicine. So people want to treat themselves with plants and not chemicals, right? There are a bunch of people right. who do that, um, and for them, usually this is very it's philosophical it's the 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 reason why sure. they don't want to ingest chemicals is is a philosophy of life it's i lead my life this way i treat my body this way it is uber important for me and 
it, it's a way of life. And those people are very vocal. They're in communities. They're exchanging tips. They're all together about, did you try this plant and that plant? And, and can you make it this way and that way? And, and so a company saw that opportunity and started creating plant-based medicine themselves and, and, share, and shared a lot of tips with them and created communities around them. And in those communities, they were sharing content, valuable insight, valuable intel, never promoting the product. And they were only promoting the product in the comments of their Facebook post. And they were also promoting the comments in DMs on Instagram. And DMs on Instagram and comments on Facebook post, not in the content themselves, was generating in a trackable way 50k a month of revenue that was attributed to those comments on on Facebook and those DMs on Instagram. And for that business, which is a small business by the way, it's like I think it's 15, 17 people, something like that, super small e-commerce business. Yeah. It's, it is crushing it, much more than my business. I don't I don't get 15k a month of attributed <laughs> business. So social media in a trackable, in a measurable, trackable way is not going to work for everybody, but it can work for many businesses. And for them, not tracking would, would, would be silly because it doesn't cost much and it makes you it makes you see what works and what doesn't work. And, and, and again, based on the conversation we've had for the past 45 minutes, for, as a marketer or a business owner in their, in their case, it's all that matters. You need to know what worked and didn't work so you can do resource allocation and spend your money when it's, it's used the best. Man, shout out to that plant-based company because that—that's great. They're—they're doing—they're doing it, and and their well, their customers are doing it, and they made a, a product that they believe in, and they're they're sharing it with other people. I hate buyer's remorse so much so that I there's a few just only a few. Pro I also hate shopping. There's just a few products that I I love because they didn't screw me over afterward. You know. Um, and so it's always fun to share that with other people. Um, but to track it, yeah, just because it's hard doesn't mean you don't track it is one of my big takeaways here. I'm, I've been learning all these things. I've been just amazed and I feel like I'm talking to someone who, you know, who gets me like, you understand the market. You are a marketer. You've been there wondering where's the ROI? What is ROI? And so my next question really is like, who are you? Who, who is... Who are you? Take me back in time, like little Emmerich days. Did you know you're going to be an entrepreneur and and a CEO and a marketer and all these things? I I didn't, but my uh, I when did I know I would become an entrepreneur? I was probably 27, 28 when I knew. Uh, when I was a boy, I didn't know, but when I was seven or eight years old, my parents took me to an iridologist. Have you ever heard about what's an iridologist? No. <laughs> it's a very, very rare kind of practitioner. They look into your iris in your eye. They okay. look at the shape of your iris with a special tool like this kind of, you know, a, a crazy, a crazy doctor or whatever. And yeah. based on the shape and the color and how it's designed, they're seeing things about who you are and what you're, what you're, who you're going to become. I was eight. Nah. I was eight and I didn't open my mouth. I didn't say a word to that guy, not a word. Yeah. And he, he looked at my iris with his, with his thing and, he, and then turned to my parents and told them, this little boy here will never work for a boss and he will be his own, he will be his own boss. <laughs> Again, I didn't say a thing. <laughs> so I didn't know, but someone knew apparently what I would become eventually and I was eight. So that's a very funny story. Um, wow. And then... Um, 
what happened is my 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 dad was was a business guy. He was a marketer, and he, he went to Colombia. Okay. He had an amazing track record. And um, uh-huh. for a French guy going to Colombia in the seventies was not so common. So he, he actually was very courageous. And um, uh, he, 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 when he was in his fifties, he had a lot of trouble career wise. He was laid off twice. He was unemployed for a year and then another year, like hard, 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 hard. And I witnessed that as a teenager and, I, and I, as a rebel teenager, because I've always been a huge rebel. And I, I, I thought to myself, you know, that will never happen to me. Nobody will ever do that to me. Like fire me and treat right. me that way. That's not happening. I'm, right. I'm, I'll be the guy who, who's, who's, who's not fired. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. And well, uh, I chose law randomly. I chose law school and law because lawyers are independent contractors. Like independent in France. They right. don't work for companies. They don't have a salary. They're not employed. They're independent contractors. And I thought, no, oh, that works. That, that, that fits me. And uh, I did that for five years. And after five years, I said, okay, I, I kind of want to have my own thing. And if I have my own thing as a lawyer, I'm going to start a law firm and I'm going to have all the bad, all the bad stuff and all the downside of an entrepreneur, finding clients, chasing the bills, finding people, hiring HR problem, you know, all the problems. Of you name it, right? <laughs> none of the yeah. upside, not creating assets that you can sell that has an intrinsic value. All the value is you and your time. So you're a slave of your business. You have to work, 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 work to get your, your money. And, and, I, and at that point, I made, I made a choice. It was a crazy choice um, that, you know, I'm going to build a product business because I don't want to be the product. I don't want to be right. slave to my, to my business and be the product, which is sure. what you do when you're a service business. And I want to have a product that's not me and, and that I can sell and I can go on vacation and it's going to keep working. And that's when I made the choice and made the, I had no idea when I did that, that it would take me 15 years to get back to a, 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 a decent salary. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I actually, you know what? I just increased my salary in January of 2024 and I am now paid as much as I was making when I was 28. And I'm 50, as an attorney, and as an attorney, and I'm 58, and I'm 51. <laughs> so that is telling you wow. that is telling you how crazy that move was at the time, and how long it took me to, as a salary, as a month by month, you know, in my pocket, how much time it took me to get back to what I was paid in big American law firms doing M and A for big deals and stuff like that. Sure, but it goes to show that that wasn't what was most important, right? It was that that it was that freedom and that control and saying no, no one's ever gonna fire me no one's ever gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do this but yeah there is that unseen everyone thinks it's glamorous right but then there's that unseen thing where you're not always you're sometimes you're the least paid person in your company for a little bit until things pick up i've been the least paid person in the company for 10 years at least and i there were years where my (laughs) co-founder and i we didn't pay ourselves they were i I got minimum wage for at least four years in my so it was a very, very hard um, uh, journey. I wouldn't trade it for anything now that it has worked out, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. If it had not worked out, I, I probably would feel miserable today. So it's, it, it is difficult. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't want to sugarcoat any of that. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's oh, a no, tough It's life. hard, man. The highs are higher and the lows are lower, you know? Very low. Yeah. So, well, congrats on your, on your, uh, your raise. Thank you. You should thank your boss for giving you a raise. Thank you. <laughs> Man. Uh, well, question for you. You know, um, now, like nowadays, now I know you've stepped into the marketing role and you're the founder and CEO of Agora Pulse. What are you excited about now? What's going on? 
you know, and also who should be looking at Agora Pulse in terms of social management and all that kind of thing? Yeah, so what's exciting uh, for me is the, the vision we've had since day one, which is, you know, what you do on social should look valuable to you and you should be able to prove that value to your customers if you're an agency or, or to your boss if you're in-house uh, social media pro or marketer. That is, is slowly getting into reality in a way that I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, we get new, uh, business cases or, or success stories like the one I shared with you. We get more and more every month. Um, we, one thing we've realized is that sometimes it's really, really hard to get that measurement and that success on your own as a social media pro or a marketer for your own business. Um, and if you were able to leverage your coworkers, your employees or influencers or advocates, as we call them, it may be a lot easier. And we've, we've just launched, like literally last week, an, an advocacy feature that's embedded in the product where you can actually mm. leverage your, your, your work colleagues or, or your friends or whoever wants to support your business for them to be your voice on social with you. And you can track that all the same as you could track your own stuff. Uh, let me give you one very specific use case. We hire people from time to time, and some of those jobs are really, really hard to hire, like web developers, the, among the hardest jobs to hire in our industry. And by leveraging our developers, our existing developers, and having them share the job posting on their LinkedIn, we tripled the the, the number of candidates we got quality candidates we had for job openings. And this is real result. Like this is stuff you can actually see and measure. And that's the kind of stuff that this kind of feature can help you achieve, which is it's really hard for us as a, as a company with one recruiter to find talents. But if we can right. leverage the, the community of talents we have all together as a team, as a company, then suddenly we can triple, double, triple, whatever the results of, of good candidates we have. And that will that is going to be true with, with sharing amazing content, amazing new features. If you have a bunch of people you can um, um, mobilize to share your stuff with you, things are things are going to be easier and, and the measurement is going to make more sense and be bigger. So that's that's something I'm really excited about. I think this is this is going to work really well for B2B as well because, you know, the doing your stuff alone on social is really hard, is even harder if you're B2B. So for B2B businesses, that's going to make a ton of sense. So when you ask who is it for, it's definitely not for super small businesses uh, because, you know, between you and me, if you are starting a super small business, unless you're home decoration or home improvement or fashion or or makeup, I I I wouldn't advise you to just focus on social media for as your first channel for uh, starting your business. I would probably tell you, uh, do not ignore it, but your your quick wins as an early uh, entrepreneur are probably not on social media, except for some occasions, some rare occasions. So it, it makes more sense if you're a more mature business with more uh, more people, uh, businesses with multiple locations like franchises or or restaurants or hotels or retail stores. They're amazing. We have plenty of customers who, who have this kind of setup, and for them, usually the, all these stores, all these hotels, they have their own Facebook, their own their own their Instagram. Sometimes their own they're on, they're on TikTok or they're on, they're at the, they have one LinkedIn. They have all these different profiles and managing them is a pain in the neck. So the problem we solve for them is huge. 
And the value they see by using us is amazing, as opposed to a two people, a very small two-person company. The problem we're going to solve for them is going to be tiny. Like they're, they're not even they're not even going to see the problem we solve. They're going to go native right. and do social on the native platforms. That's, that's going to be more than enough. So, basically, the ideal mm-hmm. candidates are those for whom social is very chaotic and very messy, and and on top of that, those who have a hard time seeing the value of doing all of this. We are the beginning of the solution for them. So. Yeah, amazing. Uh, well, I'm sure you're certainly on the map for me in terms of social management. And, and you're right. I, I'm not an ICP myself, but I work with a lot of them and it's definitely come I'll up. I'll be happy to help you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll have a friend. You have the uh, friendly CEO price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Likewise as well. Next time you need a podcast, you just look me up. Uh, well, hey, I, ha- I have another question for you, but it's a bit of a hypothetical question. Sure. You see, yeah, and as an attorney, you probably are, you're properly prepared for this, qu- and, an, and an entrepreneur. Um, mm. I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire across the pond. So let's say you come to visit, you come to Boston and, uh, you know, business event, you come visit and, and the time machine's actually behind the house. It's covered in a tarp. So we go, we get some beer and some lobster and we, we try out the time machine, but it's a certain kind of time machine. And you get to go visit yourself four days after graduating from university with that law degree. You haven't really gone into the field yet and you get to visit that Emmerich, right? You get to see yourself. You can have a conversation. What kind of things would you tell yourself? <laughs> that conversation would go for days. That's the problem. <laughs> okay. Because that well, guy back the, then. The was back by dinner yeah, time. So yeah, you got yeah, a I half know, an hour. So what would you tell yourself? That guy back then was clueless. Um, the first, the, you know what? Actually, the one thing I would tell myself, my 20-year-old self, who knew nothing back then, would be this. In life, there is a time to learn and there is a time to earn do not focus all your attention on earning at first focus on learning and learning means that you have to have a passion for the the thing you want to learn leading to the thing the problem you want to solve and the value you want to bring to the world and your passion for this has to be so big that all the hurdles all the struggles all the potholes are going to feel like nothing compared to the feeling of making progress in that thing you're learning, because Mm -hmm. if you have that energy in you, you're unstoppable, but there's no way you can have that energy if your level of passion for the problem you want to solve does not push you super duper hard to learn real fast all the stuff you need to learn to become good at solving that problem. And that, that is something I've touched by listening to a friend of mine whose name is uh, Alex Hormozzi and is all about learn, 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 invest in yourself. And I know this may sound a little, yeah, I heard that, all the gurus tell to invest in myself, but it's, it's actually so freaking important to become better. And, we, and at my 20-year-old, Emmerich, knew nothing and was good at nothing. And I, didn't mm. really re- I did not really realize that. My 20-year-old Emmerich thought he was really good and really smart and deserved this high salary in this amazing law firm. And I deserve things. You deserve nothing. 
You have to go put a knife between your teeth and go grab life and go become a person who is worth something. And in order to do that, the level of passion for the learning you need to do, i.e. for the problem you want to solve with that learning, has to be through the roof. And that's probably where most people fail. They don't, have, they don't find the passion, so they don't find the energy, so they don't do the learning. They don't work the 15 hours a day learning what needs to be learned the hard way. And, and they don't succeed in their life as a professional because that's what it takes. And that's the advice I would give me. I don't, I'm not, you know what? I'm not sure I would listen to myself. <laughs> I'm not sure my 20-year-old <laughs> yeah. would probably tell me, go fuck yourself, old man. <laughs> I'm, good. Might, I'm smarter than might. you think. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you know, old man? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> uh, yeah, who are you? Uh, I make more than you, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, or <laughs> more than you. <laughs> Minimum wage guy. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that's my that's my being life learning at 51 is. Yeah. And I know we've all heard the, the Steve Jobs speech and, you know, you have to love what you do. You have to be passionate about what you do. But it's so true. It is so true that the, the, true. the fire in your belly for what you do has to be there to go to face all these difficulties that you that are going to be thrown at you one after the other nonstop if you don't have the fire in your belly for what you do what you solve and what you're learning to get better at solving it it's not going to work it's going to be too hard right. because we're we're human we don't want to suffer so right right man powerful advice pa- powerful and personal advice and and it rings true in terms of that's that's what I needed to hear too. That, that's the kind of because I went through some of those cycles of you know getting fired or just not being in that zone of passion and mm. you know sort of wandering a bit before yeah. uh, finding that groove. Except it will go up and down. Uh, I I've not always yeah. been up in my in the fire in my belly. I have had downs. I felt at some point mm. that I was a loser. I was not in the right spot i was not doing the right thing i i I was not passionate about when you are down focus on what do i need to do to go up again because i knew i was up at one point i was down and i was up i know the cycle when i'm on the bottom of the cycle my all my mindset is all about what do i need to do to go back up what do i what am i missing now to go back up and focus on that and it has worked every single time Every single time I've put myself in that mindset, I have found the up again. And, and it's, it's wanting to find, to be up again in your belly, to have this energy back is, is wanting this more than anything else that makes you go up again. It's a mix of the people you do it with and the problem you solve and how you solve it. And, and there's, always, there is a, there's always a problem with the people you're doing with are not, you don't enjoy it. So you need to change the people. Mm-hmm. The problem you're solving does not matter too much. Redefine the problem. How you're solving it is not really solving it. Work hard with your customer on how you can better solve it. And it's always one of those three components. Yeah. That, that is its own podcast right there. Right? That, I mean, there's powerful, powerful advice to tracking, even though it's hard, but there's also powerful advice to finding that passion, finding the up and and getting there man th- this has been awesome i don't know if you looked at the clock but we have entered a time warp and an hour plus has, has flown by i feel like we could chat all day next time bottle of wine or some beer we'll make it happen 
uh, your continent or mine. Uh, Emmerich, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot myself, and I'm just I'm glad for the time. I've had a blast. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It was um, I, I I felt the excitement from start to finish. So thank you. Absolutely. And for those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back, ran out of space, right in the margins down here. Time to learn, time to earn, all sorts of things. If you learned something, maybe this was your time to learn on this podcast, then share this with one person. Sometimes seven people, sometimes 9,000, but even one person on like LinkedIn, if you want to tag Emmerich and I on the comments, we'll go in there, hop in there, have a good time. But otherwise, just share this information, but put what your take was. Like, what was that one takeaway for you? I have some good friends. They annoy me, but I'll go to an event and they'll always ask me, what was your one takeaway? So what was your one takeaway from this podcast? And I know you have probably 30, but what are those? And share those with other people. Get the good word out. Teach somebody else. That's thought leadership. With that, Emmerich, thank you again, sir. You were the man. Thank you, Casey. That was a great. That was great. I loved it. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, everyone. This has been a crazy cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.